If you can make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started. Thank you so much, church. Please open up your Bibles to Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 23. The the title of the message uh, this morning is the book of Leviticus and the worldwide expansion of the gospel. And I'm really looking forward to covering this section, which really this sermon is going to cover in the span of Leviticus chapter 17 through 27. But we're going to focus in on reading Leviticus chapter 23. And we're going to read verses 33 through 44 together here this morning. And so let's prepare our hearts to hear the word of the Lord together as we continue in our series, Seeing Christ in All of Scripture, and as we celebrate this special day in the life of our local church and see how the worldwide expansion of the gospel was touched in on even in Leviticus 23. Let's read God's word here together. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of this seventh month, that's immediately after the Day of Atonement, which John covered last week, and for seven days is the Feast of Booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall do, you shall not do any ordinary work. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation for presenting to the Lord food offerings, burnt offerings and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings each on its proper day, besides the Lord's Sabbath, and besides your gifts, and besides all your vow offerings, and besides all your free will offerings, which you give to the Lord. On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feasts of the Lord. And I can't resist. John chapter 7 Beginning in verse 37, we read, On the last day of the feast, this is during the Feast of Booths, 
the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let's pray. Oh Lord, as we see the way you prescribe this Feast of Booze to be celebrated yearly by the people of Israel to remember how you delivered them out of Egypt with a mighty arm and with great power and cause them to dwell in, in, in booths or tents, temporary dwellings in the wilderness as you brought them into the promised land and through the wilderness wanderings. Almighty God, I pray that we would also remember our deliverance today as the people of God. And even as we celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a bit. Lord, I also pray that we would see in you, Jesus, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament feasts and the Feast of Booze and the significance of you standing up on the greatest day of the feast and saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. I pray that everybody here would come to you, Jesus, and drink. And I pray that for every one of us, Lord God, what Jesus says here in this passage would be the case that streams and rivers of living water would flow out from deep within our hearts and out to this Reading area and to the nations. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I just about covered it in the prayer there. <laughs> I couldn't resist. I'm so excited. I'm so filled with joy and excitement about today and this wonderful celebration of our send-off Sunday with the Crockers Church. And I hope you are as well. And I know you are. I'm looking forward to uh, celebrating the Lord's Supper, um, kind of heading into the middle of the service. And actually, I think, if I'm not mistaken, it looks like communion is prepared and ready back there. Am I right? Could we have the ushers go back now and begin to distribute the elements for communion? We're going to do it a little bit differently, where if you could just uh, just hold on to the elements for communion, we'll celebrate those in just a bit here after we talk about the Feast of Booze and Leviticus and and uh, remember the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, uh, ushers, once you get in motion, you can begin to hand out the uh, elements for communion immediately. And church, let us just quietly reflect on the scriptures here in Leviticus and see the relevant application to our lives here today. Well, the people of Israel in the book of Leviticus uh, 17 through 27 were told by God to keep a series of days of remembrance and feasts throughout the year that would celebrate different great works that God had done on their behalf. And John last week looked at the day of atonement and that every, uh, every time the seventh month of the year approached, the people of Israel were brought together in order for them to observe the high priest once a year making sacrifice and entering the Holy of Holies on behalf of the people to atone for the sins of the nation. As John elaborated last week, there was a goat that was slaughtered 
And a goat was also, an additional goat was also set free and set loose into the wilderness, cast out of the camp and into the wilderness, never to be seen again. These two goats sacrificed on the day of atonement symbolize that God is a God who atones for sin and forgives it when blemish-free blood, as Tom mentioned in worship, blemish-free blood from a substitutionary sacrifice is shed. God's wrath is satisfied through the blood of that sacrifice. That is the great doctrine of propitiation. This points the Day of Atonement does, to Jesus. And it's fulfilled in Jesus when he died on the cross as a sacrifice of atonement. And through faith in Christ and his blood, the wrath of God against us is propitiated. It is satisfied. It's spent. It's exhausted. It's absorbed completely. Having fully punished your sins in Jesus on the cross, God is not unjust. He will not punish sins twice, brothers and sisters. He says to you who believe this morning, neither do I condemn you. Go in peace. The other goat, the scapegoat, was sent into Azazel, or the wilderness, and was not killed, but rather sent into the wilderness, never to be seen again by the people. Now, what this symbolized, when when the high priest put his hands on the goat that was to be Azazel or sent out into the wilderness, all of the guilt of the sins of the nation were placed upon that goat. And then as the goat was sent outside of the city and out into the wilderness, what that symbolizes is the great doctrine of expiation. Different from propitiation, it still deals with sin. Expiation deals with the reality that God has taken away your sins and your guilt from you forever. And then when God forgives, he removes your sins away from you as far as the east is from the west. He casts our sins, as scripture says in Micah seven nineteen. God will have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. It's wonderful that God doesn't just forget our sins. <coughs> It's better than that. God chooses to remember them no more. That's different than forgetting. He knows everything you've done. And he chooses to remember them no more. He sends your sins out from your presence and the presence of the camp forever, never to be brought up against you again. Hallelujah. What a Savior the Day of Atonement points to. So the Day of Atonement was a day of solemn fasting and dedication to the Lord and mourning over sin as a nation. And immediately after that is the Feast of Booths. In the same seventh month, the Israelites then immediately enter into a harvest celebration. This is so cool. And this is awesome because after they're aware of all that Christ has done, all that God has done in atoning for sins, that was all pointing to the great sacrifice of Christ and the the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent and the great promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 that Abraham, through you and your seed, speaking of Christ, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And, And through Christ, 
the atonement sacrifice is going to be made, there's a harvest celebration. It celebrates the provision of God. There's, there's grain offerings and food offerings offered up where the people are just feasting and celebrating and enjoying times of great joy together. Where the Day of Atonement was a very solemn, solemn occasion. The Feast of Booze was a week of feasting and celebration and It was a joyous remembrance, brothers and sisters, of salvation and deliverance and redemption. It also had not just a looking back component, but the Feast of Booze also had a looking forward component to it. And to elaborate that with a little bit more detail, and hang with me here because we're going to get into John 7 and the connection here with what Jesus does. It's just so awesome with the Feast of Booze because year after year throughout the 1,400-year history of Israel from the time that the book of Leviticus was written all the way through and the feasts were celebrated all those many hundreds and hundreds of years by the people of Israel. It was all pointing to Christ and one day was fulfilled in Christ when Christ stepped up in the middle of the feast and said what he said. But to understand that the the eschatological and the the salvific significance of what Jesus did in John 7, we need to understand a little bit more of the detail of what exactly the rituals in the Feast of Booths ceremonies look like. I'm going to read to you a quote right now from an ethnically uh, Jewish Christian who writes this about the Feast of Booths and what the priests of the temple here in the tabernacle, but then in the temple later, performed. They've performed three main daily rites during the feast. Pay careful attention. Just before dawn each day, they proceeded to the east gate out of the temple area. And as the sun appeared, they turned away from it and they faced to the west toward the temple. And then they announced our fathers, when they were in this place, turned their faces toward the east and they worshiped the sun toward the east. But as for us, Our eyes are turned toward the Lord. That was the first ritual. The second rite was performed at nighttime. This is cool. Four huge menorahs were set up to illuminate the entire temple area. In actuality, they were so large that each of the stems formed a torch. The wicks were made from the worn-out linen garments of the priests. As smaller torches were carried to light the procession, the people danced and played harps, lyres, cymbals, and lutes. The Levites chanted the Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 120 through 134. One psalm on each of the 15 steps leading from the court of the Israelites to the court of the women. Imagine what a glorious scene it must have been with the majesty of the procession and the golden stone walls of the temple bathed in the glow of the torch-lit night. Actually, one other commentary in the midst of this nighttime celebration with the temple all lit up said that the temple during this time could be seen and and the light radiating out from Jerusalem could be seen all the way from Galilee, 70 miles away. The radiance of looking up to Jerusalem could be seen. It would almost be like a Friday night lights experience, but from far away, far away, they could see the lights all the way in Galilee. The third daily ceremony, and this is the one I want us to hone in on, was the rite of water libation, or water drink offering is what libation is talking about. On the first morning of Sukkot, or 
It is actually another term, the Hebrew term for the Feast of Booths. A procession of priests went down to the pool of Siloam to bring up to the temple a golden container of water sufficient to last throughout the seven days of the feast. The water was brought up with great ceremony. The shofar was blown and the pilgrims who had come to Jerusalem for the feast waved their lulavs, which was a combination of myrtle and willow and palm twisted together in accordance with what we read here in Leviticus 23 as an expression of praise to God and of gratitude. So with one hand, they would have these uh, lulavs with myrtle, willow, and palm, which they also would use to help support and strengthen the booths or the temporary shelters they would all dwell in and kind of go camping as a as a nation for this week around Jerusalem. Must have been an awesome celebration. In addition to holding these in their hands, they also would hold choice fruit in the other hand, symbolizing that when they would enter the promised land, God would give them the choice fruit of the land of Canaan. This was all designed to help the people of Israel remember what God had done in their past. And the great Hillel would be recited at that time. And then the priests on duty poured out the contents of two silver bowls. One held water and the other held wine. This was an act of prayer and an expression of dependence upon God to pour out his blessing of rain upon the earth. On the last and the great day of the feast, this is the day Jesus shows up, the water libation rite reached its climax. The priests circled the altar seven times and then they poured out the water with great pomp and ceremony. This was Hoshana Rabbah, the great Hoshana, which translated means this. Save now. That phrase anticipated the coming of the Messiah one day for when the Messiah would come out from the temple, a fountain of living water would flow, which Joel prophesied about in the Old Testament prophets. And the Messiah would arrive. And the Jews every year celebrated this, looking back in remembrance toward God, toward what he did in saving them, and also looking forward in anticipation to the one day the Messiah would come, fulfill all of this, and would be the fulfillment of this drink offering that would symbolize the salvation that the Messiah would bring, that was promised all throughout the Old Testament when he would pour out the Holy Spirit upon the people of Israel. And the Spirit would be poured out, not just on the people of Israel, but on all the nations. And the knowledge of the Lord would cover the earth as the water covers the seas, Scripture says. And it was right precisely at this moment of climactic celebration at the Feast of Booze with the water being poured out by the priests where the people of Israel would look in anticipation that one day the Messiah would come, that Jesus who had at that time been hiding himself amongst the crowd, steps up and says boldly in front of the nation, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me 
and drink. And in doing this, he fulfills all that the temple had always pointed to. The presence of God amongst the people of God. All that the tabernacle here in Leviticus always only pointed to. The presence of God amongst the people of God in the wilderness. Jesus is essentially saying, I am the place where you come and meet God. I am your Messiah. Come to me. And the living water that had been promised, you will have. Amazingly enough, John picks up on this a few chapters earlier in John 4. Remember the Samaritan woman. The woman at the well, Gentile, despised by the Israelites, because they were seen as compromisers to the pure Jewish religion. But Jesus didn't keep his distance from her. He pursued her. And even in the midst of her sin and her shame, he gives her hope and says, if you asked of me, I'll give you living water. Well, he offers it to a Gentile woman and he offers it here to the nation of Israel. Oh, brothers and sisters, it's just about enough to send chills down your back. And in these words, Christ proclaims himself as the eternal life-giving fountain and that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Water that you will partake of that you will never thirst again. And not only that, but he's also talking here about what the water symbolized was that the Holy Spirit would be given to the people of God. And then Jesus says, out of the believer in Christ's heart will flow rivers of living water. Brothers and sisters, living water flows into us by trusting in Jesus Christ. And living water flows out of us by the power of the Holy Spirit through Christ who now dwells in our hearts through faith. We have the elements of communion this morning. We also have the Lord's Supper that Jesus instituted to help us to remember what He did to bring us the living water, eternal life that we who believe in Him now have. His body was broken. His blood was shed to atone for all of our transgressions and sins and to reconcile us to God. Now, those of us who believe have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We are saved from the wrath to come. Our sins have, removed, have been removed as far as the east is from the west. And because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, we also 
as God's people now have streams and rivers of living water flowing out from us, not just for our own enjoyment, but so that the nations might come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Let us remember his broken body that has made all this possible at this time. And brothers and sisters, let us remember his shed blood on the cross. Blood has been shed to satisfy God's wrath that once stood against us. But now it's been propitiated. We are forgiven because of the blood of Christ. Let's remember this morning as we partake. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, Christ community. There's nothing more important for us to live our lives for than the glory of God and the advance of the gospel to the nations. That promise didn't begin with the Great Commission in Matthew 28, but began when God promised in Genesis 3 and then in later Genesis 12 that the gospel would not just be for one nation, but the blessing would come upon all the nations through the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent, Satan. We are here, church, for a purpose. We have a mission that God has called us to. We are to be witnesses to Christ that He died for us and that He rose again for us, and that we're called to live our lives here with a fire in our hearts during this one short life that we get to live for God. God didn't save us so that we can indulge ourselves and have the good life here. He saved us so that we might no longer live for ourselves, Romans says, but for Him who for our sakes died and was raised. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul gathered with the elders in Ephesus at Miletus, heading on his way to Jerusalem. And as he was about ready to be sent out to go and deliver the Jerusalem offering to the church in Jerusalem, they all wept together by the beach as they were sending him off to the mission. And there was tears as the tearing effect of sending was upon them. We likewise as a church today, it's appropriate for us to weep tears of sadness, but also tears of joy simultaneously over our beloved brother and sister being sent out from our midst. Lord willing, I'll be with them as we drop them off at terminal A at the Philadelphia International Airport on the 24th. That terminal, the international terminal, is becoming that spot on the beach for me as I had the honor of hugging Mario and Jen goodbye before they parted the plane, onto the plane two years ago. 
I told Daniel and Caitlin this morning that that moment for me is one that, when I think of it, it just brings me to tears. And I know that I'm going to weep again, as I did with Mario and Jen, but Christ's community weeping over the loss of the immediate fellowship with dear brothers and sisters who are going off to church plant in other countries is one of the best and most healthy things to weep over. Amen? Charles Spurgeon writes about our zeal for eager service, says this, this will lead us to eager service. Having this fire in us, speaking of the gospel, we shall be trying to do all we can for Christ. We shall never think we have done enough. We shall be uneasy if for a moment we rest. We shall seek, if possible, to snatch souls from the burning, to preach Christ where he is not known, and to bring him fresh jewels for his crown. Amen. Spurgeon says to his church, Brethren, this is a large church, numbering now nearly 4,000 souls. And if you grow cold and lose your earnestness, their pastor said to them, I would sooner have 40 warm-hearted men and women than the whole multitude of you if you are chilled. (laughs) For what are you who are cold and indifferent but a clog upon the chariot? What are you but like the mixed multitude that came out of Egypt? The warm-hearted, earnest, thorough Christian is the life of the church. I love that phrase. The warm-hearted, earnest, thorough Christian, and may we be moved to be such, is the life of the church. And if we cannot all be as we would, may the fiery spirits among us Never be slowed down by those who are more lethargic. In other words, don't let someone else's dampness or slothfulness or slackness or negativity quench your zeal for the gospel of Christ. May they live above, Spurgeon says. The influences that would drag them down. Yes, indeed. May we live above influences that would seek to drag us down from the mission of the gospel God's calling us to as a local church, Christ community. Spurgeon says, may we never be content to do as much as others. Just to pray as much as others. To give as much as others. But may it be our resolve that we will outstrip all. Not out of any emulation, but out of a love to him who has done so much, forgiven so much, secured so much, and promised so much to us who are his people. There was a man who showed John Wesley, who was a pastor who was involved in being foundational in the Methodist churches being established back in the 1700s and 1800s. There was a very rich man who took John Wesley horseback riding over his great estate in England and took him all over the grounds of his estate and he asked, Wesley, what do you think of all this, Mr. Wesley? 
And Wesley said to the man, I'm thinking how hard this is going to be for you to give all this up. Brothers, is it a ca- brothers and sisters, is it a category in our minds? Children and teens, is it a category in our minds that God would call us to give it all up for the sake of Christ? We know that conceptually, but, but is it a reality in our hearts and in our minds, the, the mindset of being willing to sacrifice and to lay our lives down to preach Christ to our area and preach Christ to the nations? Does God have our hearts? Let's ask this to yourself. And I'm asking myself, does God have our hearts in such a way whereby we thank him for our lives as they are and our jobs as they are and our friends as they are and our family as they are and our income as it is and the town we live in and the house that we have. And yet, if God asked of us to leave it all behind in order to go, we would let go of it in a heartbeat and abandon it all as Twyla Paris sung years ago for the sake of the call. We can have a hold on what we have and what we love about our lives here. But brothers and sisters, may we always hold all of that loosely. Let's not tighten our grip remembering that we'll need to leave it all behind at death anyway. May we always make sure that what we love about our lives as they are doesn't have hold of us in such a way that we wouldn't walk away from it all in an instant should the Holy Spirit call us to go and be a part of a church plant someday, or like the Crockers, go and help support a church plant as missionaries to the nations. I just have this in my heart for all of us. What is it that you, you, you dream about in your life? What is it that you're anticipating and hoping for and longing for to happen in your life? Let there be dreams of how we might be used of God. Let there be dreams of how God might call us one day to be sent out by our local church to either plant a church or give support to a church plant either regionally or internationally. Let us not think of dreams that simply embody dreams of temporary worldly good and earthly happiness and desires to just experience happiness here. Jesus emptied himself of all the glories of deity, though never deity itself, and he He entered into the humiliation of 
taking on flesh and becoming man so that he might lay down his life for us and bring us to God. He was rich and he became poor to make many rich. May we likewise burn with a zeal as followers of this Savior to say, let good and kindreds go. This mortal life also, this body they may kill. God's truth abide is still. Let's go, let's rally, let's accomplish the mission for which God has placed us here as a local church and as individuals to reach the people in this area for the gospel and to send forth laborers into the harvest field. Now please understand, this does not mean that we are all called to do the same exact thing as they have done and are doing. But it does mean that we are to examine ourselves and to make sure that the lives that we are living are being lived all out for God and His glorious gospel. Our zeal for Christ and passion for the gospel to go forth to our area through us who remain is meant to be increased as we see our brother and sister go forth from us today. Our respective commitment to our local churches, wherever we are members of a local church. And if you're not a member of a local church, I want to encourage you to plug in and become a member of a gospel preaching local church. Send down roots down there and and then be a part of being a sending church if God's not calling you to go yourself. Mission is for all of us and not just for the few. May we do all we can to see the name of Christ go forth to the nations. May our dreams about life be about God and how he might use us, not for how much money we can make and how much comfort and happiness personally we can have here. We want to, brothers and sisters, dream dreams of not how we can settle down and, and, and enter into a place of personal happiness for ourselves, but may our dreams and hopes lie in how we can make other people happy in Jesus. And we here as a local church, you have our commitment from John and I, we are going to lead us to live radical lives here for Christ at Christ Community Church. We're not going to settle. We're not going to become complacent. We are going to personally burn with zeal so that all of us are fired up for evangelism and reaching the lost locally. And we are going to be a discipleship center to raise up harvesters and pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out harvesters into the field. And we are going to send harvesters out into the field, men and women whom God raises up to go forth to proclaim the glory of Christ before he returns. It's why we're here. We forget that sometimes. These are the days of labor. Heaven, we will be able to rest forever. Now we get busy. Now we roll up our sleeves and get dirty. We're not here to celebrate and have and try to accomplish our best life now. Here, we are meant to live our lives burning with zeal for the glory of God and for the good of others. Not to create a Christian bubble, to gather around everybody that I want to feel comfortable with and find our sweet spot where everything's comfortable for us. But God wants to break the comfort zone and cause us as a church to rise up and go forth. Even as Daniel and Caitlin are going forth for the glory of God. The Marines have a motto. Every man a rifleman. 
May it be true that as the Moravians said, that every Christian here be a missionary. Every Christian walk in the same spirit of mission and purpose in the church and missionary being a special category of an individual who crosses a culture like Daniel and Caitlin. Not every one of us will, will do that. And, that. and in that sense, there's a distinction, but still to carry the same missionary zeal. If God's got us here, we're passionate about building our local church, preaching the gospel to our area and seeing brothers and sisters get raised up and sent out and doing everything we can to lend our hand to the plow and push it forward. The majority of us will stay here. And I, I, I'm burdened about this. Listen carefully. Do not think of yourself as a second-class or non-zealous Christian. It's possible, certainly, to stay in the same town all your life and live there and die there for the wrong reasons or because we're suffering from some complacent spirit. Christ Community Church, that is not who you are. You are such a wonderful local church. I'm so proud to be your pastor. You remind me of the church in Antioch in the book of Acts that sent out Paul and Barnabas on their church planning ventures into the Kalisha province in the midst of much affliction and in the midst of much weakness, God is showing himself strong in your midst. Listen carefully. I want you to hear this. What you do day in and day out in your homes, in your church, in your jobs, in your faithful service to Christ here, has made the sending off of these two, humanly speaking, possible. Mario and Jen said that the reason he was brought out from being what he self-confessed to be, a worldly businessman, a worldly Christian businessman, and was set on fire to go to Croatia and plant the church that he did two years ago out from us. And don't forget this. It's because he marinated for over five years amongst you. He marinated. I love that. Let's all marinate. Marinate, marinate, marinate. I love marinated steaks, and the longer the better. Marinate. Marinate in the local church. Commit in a local church where the gospel's being preached and zeal for the gospel's advance is burning amongst the people and you will not be able to help but catch fire. That's what happened. That's the story here. I love the description that the, the story often of the modern missionary movement is often a story more written about personal heroes and great people rather than great churches. What I love about our story is that there's nobody spectacular is going to be written down in the pages of history. It's just us. But you are a great church sending out great Christians to go to the nation of Croatia to link arms with two other great Christians and a number of new Christians that are gathering in the church plant in Croatia to take the gospel forth and to watch Christ bring down strongholds.
in Croatia, even as he's bringing them down here in the Reading area. I love this. This is why we're here. We've got purpose. We've got mission on our minds. And church, you having your devotions every day, you following and staying close to Christ, your commitment and your plotting faithfulness that week after week continues to set up and serve and serve in children's ministry and help build up is enabling individuals to come in here and marinate and hear the gospel and be revived and renewed and saved and transformed by the gospel and they get raised up and they get sent out. And I just think that's awesome. And let it just keep on happening. Let us be like a marinating machine that just kind of just churns out more and more workers that we can send out together. May God bless us as a local church financially that we might be able to send out more works for the glory of his name. The Crockers and the Vuceniviches go out from us, but once in Croatia, they're going to send down roots there, just like we're sending down roots here. They're going to build their local church there in the same exact way we're building our local church here on the gospel, on Christ. Some may be sent out someday from the church in Croatia to other nations. What an exciting thought. But the majority of them will stay and advance the gospel of Christ in the town of Zaprasic and settle and live their lives there. The issue when it comes to mission isn't about constantly moving about and constantly being on the go like the apostles in the New Testament. There are some who are called to do that work and praise God for those men and women who are constantly establishing churches and then moving on to new areas. But brothers and sisters, no. The majority of the early church that the letters of the epistles were written to were written to faithful brothers and sisters like yourselves who are going about working in their jobs, and are faithfully serving the Lord Jesus Christ in what seems to them mundane lives, but it's glorious because it's burning with mission and burning with zeal. And so let us have the same go mindset every day right where we're at. We can't all go to Croatia but we can all send to Croatia and support Croatia as we fast and we pray as some in our church have been fasting and praying for Daniel and Caitlin as we give financially to our Croatia mission fund and other endeavors like it in our church's future. Finally, we are going to be a sending church where people are able to marinate. Christ community, we've said this before, we're going to be a battleship, not a cruise ship. We're going to accent sacrifice for the gospel and not luxury and self-indulgence. We are going to go deep here in the word, not that we might become a deep but deep but stagnant pond where waters terminate in itself, but where, like Jesus said, living waters will flow deep into us and then out from those depths will go out from us to bless many other people so that they might drink deeply of Jesus and be saved from the eternity in hell that they deserve and to be saved for heaven 
We sung a song when Mario and Jen were sent out entitled As You Go. And I'd like to close now with that same song, As You Go. So Tom and the worship band, if you can return in church, if we can prepare our hearts to sing. As we sing, Daniel and Caitlin, hear it as a song of blessing and celebration as we send you forth. And Christ community, let us sing this song to God and also sing it into our own own hearts that we would be a people burning with mission zeal and burning with a desire to see the living waters of the Holy Spirit flow out from our hearts out to not just those around our immediate circle, but to every single person that our path comes across. Let us pray that we would be bold in this way. And let us cry out to him as we sing, as you go. Let's stand and let's sing. There was an impression from the Holy Spirit that came upon me as we were singing that beautiful song that there's some here who feel really just motivated by what the Holy Spirit's stirring in your hearts. You just, you want to be a Christian who just has let go of everything that the world holds dear and to give it all up, so to speak, for serving Christ. And you're just moved. You're moved by Daniel and Caitlin's example. You're moved by more significantly Christ's sacrifice for you and you want to lay down your life for others and I sense that the Holy Spirit's doing a deep work and in a good number and those of you who are feeling stirred in that way I don't want to embarrass you in any way but would you please just lift your hand up so we can just pray for you those of you who are feeling moved to just want to burn with a zeal to just go to lay it all down to live all out for Christ lift your hands up high and there's a number of people around you. Would you gather around these individuals and let's just lay hands on them and let's pray. And as we close, let us pray that God would pour out the spirit on them and that God would pour out a spirit on our church. That he would use us for the glory of his name. Let's lay hands on our brothers and sisters and let us close in prayer. Almighty God, I thank you for the way you're moving in our midst. Thank you for our church family and just the zeal for Christ and the zeal for the advance of the gospel locally and to the nations that exist here. Thank you so much for the way you, Lord, through our weakness as a local church, are showing your power in the sending out of our precious brothers and sisters, Daniel and Caitlin Crocker. But, Lord, there is so much, Lord of the Harvest, harvest out there harvest out in our area harvest in the nations as a whole Lord and so much great need and so few messengers Lord I pray for those who raise their hand here that you would cause them to burn with a zeal to to go for the gospel Lord that they would have a spirit of, of giving it all up and laying it all down and taking up their cross and following you Jesus laying down everything that they once held dear in the 
things that charm the most to live all out for the audience of one, to live all out so that others might be happy in Jesus. Almighty God, I pray that you would do a special work and seal up that work in the heart of our brothers and sisters who raised their hand a moment ago. And God, I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray, would you fall upon us as a local church like you did in Acts 4 and fill us, Holy Spirit, fall upon us, Holy Spirit, and cause us, Lord God, to be able to go forth and speak the word of God with boldness and to proclaim Christ boldly. Fill us with an evangelistic zeal that that transcends the, the boundaries of our personalities and the limitations of when we look in the mirror. Help us, Almighty God, in our weakness for you to show yourself strong and mighty through causing us as a church to be bold witnesses for the gospel, for the glory of the name of Jesus. Almighty God, we thank you so much for all that you're doing in our midst. Thank you so much for the way you sent your son down to die on the cross for sinners like us. Lord, you gave up everything. You gave up all. You, the rich, became poor to make us rich in Christ. Help us, God, to do everything we can to sacrifice so that others might live, so that others might be happy in Christ, so that others might enjoy the salvation blessings that we have come to know. Lord, I pray for a tangible work to just be like a stake in the ground here for us as a church today, that our bold proclamation of the gospel would rise up and that you would use us powerfully as an evangelistic witness to this area. And I pray for future church plants and I pray for future evangelism. And finally, I want to pray for Daniel and Caitlin once again. Thank you for our brother. Thank you for our sister. We love them so much. And we're going to miss them greatly. But we're so glad they're going. Protect them. Keep them by your grace. Protect their marriage. Protect any children you give to them in their marriage in the years to come. And bless the church plant in Croatia. Establish the work of their hands so that many thousands of Croatian people might come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Do all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord all the glory that's due to His name? We thank you, God. Thank you so much, Jesus. There will be a light reception over at the church house from 1230 to 3 in honor of the Crockers. We'd love to have you join us. We'll have the Croatia soccer game on in the background, Lord willing, so that should be fun. Church, love you. Thank you for being a sending church. Thank you for your passion and zeal for the gospel and for Christ. Love you. As we go, let us go in the grace of Christ.